Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, our text will be verses 15 to 21. This is pretty nice being able to start off the new year uh, in worship to our Lord, collectively in worship to our Lord. It's wonderful that the first uh, begins on the Lord's Day. And this is a passage of scripture that I believe will help us in this coming year to set some goals for us. As at this time of year, of course, everybody's always, you know, talking about New Year's resolutions and all kinds of things like that. Sometimes we want to lose weight. Sometimes we want to stop doing this or that or lay off of soft drinks. We come up with a number of different things. And so that's usually on our minds, especially this time of year. New Year's resolutions. But... The question is, is that when it comes to the more important things in our life, what goals do we set specifically in reference to our life in Christ? What kinds of goals do we set? What New Year's resolutions do we set for ourselves in regards to the Christian life, in regards to our walk with Christ, in regards to our knowledge of Christ? Are there things that you have set for yourself in this upcoming year? You know, some folks want to read the Bible through in a year, and that's wonderful to do that. Uh, if, you, if you're one that does that, that's wonderful. Uh, studying the Scripture a little bit more in depth uh, than just reading it through is, is needful also. What kinds of things do you set? There are some specific topics I know from my own self that I've set for this year that uh, I bought you know, four or five different books on that I want to just concentrate on this particular year. And, and these are things that we need to be considering and thinking of. What things do, do we want to just explore concerning the very nature of God or the character of God, the attributes of God? Do we want to study those things? What do we want to study this year as far as you individually in your homes? Are you one that hasn't started family worship yet? Is this going to be a goal for you this year to start your family worship time? What goals do you set in regards to what is most important in life, which is your walk with Christ? We, we set all kinds of goals for ourselves that are really just uh, temporary things. They have no eternal value, but they're things that we... At this time of year, want to be like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But the things that do have eternal value are the things that are found in Christ, the things that are found in Scripture. So therefore, what goals do you set for yourself this coming year? You know, do, we, do we even set those goals? And that's a question that, that I even ask my own self. Because sometimes we don't set goals for ourselves when it comes to the Christian life. One, because it seems to take a secondary role to the other things we got going on in life. That these other things are a little bit more important than this, so we don't really think of it. We don't really consider what things do we want to do, study, to know, to understand in the upcoming year concerning the Christian faith. They, they end up coming in a little bit more in the, in the secondary realm. Sometimes it's because we're not as serious as we should be when it comes to our life that is in Christ. We take it for granted sometimes. And we don't set goals for ourselves. More likely because of this last reason, maybe. There are other reasons, of course. But we don't set goals because we think we have time. We think we have time in, later on in our life to, to do all these things, to study these things, to know these things, or whatever. But the reality of it is, is that we don't know how much time we have. We have no idea. And that's, that's the uncertainty that should be cultivating in us a desire even more to want to know the things of God and to serve the Lord and to honor the Lord. A couple of months ago, as some of you know, I helped to officiate the funeral of a 26-year-old kid. He thought he had time, too. 
We don't know. We don't know when the Lord's going to call us home. We don't know when our day is. And so we take for granted that we have time. We'll get to those things later. We often say to ourselves. Again, they take a secondary role. We think we have time. It's just not as important right now. We don't take it that seriously. But do you understand, dear friends, for those of you that are in Christ, that the most, the, the, the greatest relationship that you have is with the Almighty God that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. That He should be our greatest treasure and our greatest prize. It's Him. But we often relegate Him to other secondary places. Other things take precedence. In our text today, we really have some things set out before us in this passage that, that are worthy goals for us this year. Things that we can begin to do when it comes to our walk with Christ, to focus on, to concentrate on, to, to seek after. You know, as the Apostle says in Philippians, that he's seeking to lay hold of that which laid hold of him. Those are the things that we need to be looking at and striving for. As the Puritan Thomas Watson, he wrote the book, Heaven Taken by Storm. And he had he had wrote, he'd written the book based on Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus is talking about those uh, who are entering into the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And Thomas Watson is saying, this isn't unbelievers trying to storm the kingdom of heaven because unbelievers cannot touch the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing that happens within the kingdom of darkness that will ever have an effect on the kingdom of Christ. And so what Thomas Watson is pointing out is those who are taking heaven by storm are those that are believers in Christ with all their energy and with everything that they have striving for the kingdom. Because they value the king that much. So today, as we work our way through this passage, I pray that it does do a great change in us to help us focus our minds on the things that have eternal value, the things that are important in life, the things that are most important in life. Within these words, we have our emphasis of what we need to focus on and also the means to carry it out. So let's look at this passage together, if you would. Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 15, down to verse 21. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us, let us give our attention to the scripture. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we again come before you to give you honor to ascribe worth to you, to bring ourselves low. And how we pray, Father, that as we work our way through this passage, that the Spirit of God would teach us. But we need Him at every moment to open our minds to guide us, guide us into understanding what you would have us to know. I pray, Father, that He would indeed do that today, to speak to your people, speak to our hearts. Father, may Christ be magnified and may your name be glorified above all things. Bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. This is a very familiar book, of course, <clears throat> Ephesians. Uh, some refer to Ephesians, some theologians refer to Ephesians as the little Romans. There's a lot of content that is very similar within Ephesians as it is in Romans. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He's actually writing to many of the churches that this letter was supposed to be circulated to, as many of the others were. He has spent the first part of this book really just emphasizing what it is that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That 
When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, when we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, as he says, God made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. That's the emphasis that he's making. His prayer that he begins this book with is, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, he says, to know the hope of his calling, the riches of his grace that are in Christ. The Apostle Paul has moved into the section of the book in which he is giving the therefores. In light of everything that we have learned throughout this book, that we know from this book of what God has done, what Christ has done, what has been accomplished for you and your salvation. And the emphasis that he is giving in these first couple of chapters is, is that it has nothing to do with you. There is nothing in your salvation that you can take credit for because it is all him. He made you alive together with Christ. He raised you up. He tore down the wall of partition, separating the Jews and Gentiles, made them into one new man. He has done all of these things. When you're looking at that first chapter, the great blessings that have come to the people of God, chosen in Him, being made holy and blameless before Him, predestined to adoption. You have Him him giving understanding of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages past. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. There are so many things that the Apostle speaks of within the first couple of chapters to establish this is what Christ has done for you. And then beginning in chapter 4, he says, therefore, walk worthy of your calling. And the rest of that is to give us an understanding of what it is to walk worthy of our calling, which is in Christ. Because that is the response to the great grace of God that is in our life, to walk worthy, to value him, to understand the 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 riches of his grace that has been granted to us because if you can begin to understand those things is what the apostle paul is trying to do here to his readers if you begin to understand the riches of his grace that has been shown to you then it cultivates within you an even greater desire for him as the spirit of god applies these truths to your heart giving you understanding moving your affections and changing your affections as you begin to understand and to know the truth of god and the glorious gospel of christ This is a very beloved book, and it is one that is a very timely one for us as well, because if you look at the culture in this time, this is in Ephesus. The patron patron goddess is, is Artemis or Diana, but they're serving other gods too, like Bacchus, who is the god of wine and, and sexual immorality and all of this. And so the things that the Apostle Paul is saying to the church and emphasizing to the church is against the backdrop of this kind of a culture. Sometimes we may look at the scripture and we think, well, maybe it doesn't have so much application to us because we're in in this time period. It was written at that time period, and and we have just so much more things that that bombard us today than they did back then, and and that's not the case. The reality is, is that's not the case. You have an entire city here that is dedicated to a specific kind of a goddess and a a god in which they, they indulge freely and emphasize indulging freely in the sexual immorality and drunkenness and all kinds of stuff in view of their worship to their gods. This is a very debaucherous culture that is in Ephesus here that Paul is writing to this church to say against everything else that is going on, against the temptations that you are enduring, walk worthy of your calling. And what promotes that walking worthy of our calling is remembering what Christ has done. So in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in the light, he says. Have, have Have no dealings with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't participate in it. It's disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret in the culture itself. Don't don't partake of these things, he says. Be imitators of God. Walk as children of the light. In verse 14 of chapter 5, this is most likely not a 
passage of Scripture that he is quoting here. Uh, there are some allusions, perhaps, to some passages of Scripture that, that are in the Old Testament that contain some similar things like this. But this is most likely Paul being an apostle of Christ, having direct revelation given to him. That this is direct word from the Lord that he is penning in this epistle. He says, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason... Your translation may say, it says, but it is he says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you once again, bringing back to light what God has done for us in Christ. He has called, he has raised us up from the dead, and the light of Christ is shown on us, and then he gives another therefore. And this is for us. This is, this is in direct application to us in our own day, for our lives, for this, for this entire year of goals that we should set for ourselves as we understand the surpassing value of Christ himself. Here's what he says. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, there are two verbs that are given here, depending on your translation. It means, therefore, look carefully how you walk. Look and walk is the idea. These are the two verbs that are there. He's saying don't be foolish. This is, a, this is emphasizing a continual need of the people of God to be cautious about how we walk in this life. It's giving us that, that emphasis of being diligent in our walk. Taking special precautions to guard, to guard ourselves against the temptations that are out in the world. This is, this is emphasizing a way of life that requires concentration on the part of the, of the people of God to live moment to moment in a certain way. Now remember, when he's writing this to the Ephesians, think of the culture. Think of what they're doing. The rampant paganism that is in the culture and the sexual immorality and all of the stuff that we look at today in our own time. These are the very things that are going on then. And what does he say to the church? Look carefully how you walk. Because there's temptations there. So you must focus yourself. You must concentrate on, on your walk with Christ. Live moment to moment in a certain way to display in your life the wisdom of God. He says don't act as unwise but as wise. What kind of wisdom is he referring to? He's referring to the wisdom of God. Walk circumspectly according to the wisdom of God. Uh, Paul writes of the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's some things that he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, in which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed him through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. This is the wisdom that Paul is emphasizing to Corinth, which worshiped the goddess Aphrodite, and you can imagine the things that were done there. He's saying, we have received a wisdom from God that is not of this age, that is not of the rulers of this world. They don't have it. Because when the Spirit of God has quickened your heart, regenerated your heart, that he has not only changed your heart, he's changed your mind, your affections. He has granted to you the understanding to accept the things of the Spirit of God, which are contained in Scripture. To have that wisdom of God, to understand the reality of how things truly are. That has been granted to you, to know this wisdom of God. And that wisdom of God is contained in the Word of God. 
That's why it is necessary for us to to saturate ourselves with the word of God, that we can understand what it is to walk worthy, that we can understand the reality of things in light of what God's word says about them. That we have a clear understanding, we have a, a worldview that actually comports with reality when we look to the Christian faith. Because we see how the Lord has has worked in the beginning, how he's working through history and the end result of what he's going to do. That knowledge has been granted to you. And we live in view of that knowledge. We live in view of eternity. We live in view of what God has called us to do. As Jonathan Edwards says in one of his prayers, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Let me view everything in view of eternity according to the wisdom of God. And by doing so, that means that you're walking as wise men, not as unwise for the unwise, the, the, the implication there is that they're foolish. Paul has talked about the foolish <clears throat> in chapter 4. Beginning of verse 17, he says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, is the emphasis. This is how unbelievers walk. They have no purpose. They're walking in the futility of their mind. They're darkened in their understanding when it comes to the things of God and in light of their in, in light of their standing with God, they're ignorant. They don't know because their minds are darkened. But for you who know the Lord, who have been granted this salvation of the Lord, he says, he says, walk carefully. Be on guard. Look at the... Look at the temptations that are there and understand what is happening. And you have that understanding because you understand the scripture. To guard against those things. These are giving us, this is giving us the the standard of, of what our lives should be conducted by. What principles guide your life as of right now? What do you live by? Sometimes the wisdom of God leads us often on the road less traveled. And sometimes it's a difficult road to be on, depending of those that are around you. But we have to understand that they walk in the futility of their minds and they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life, the life of God. But you, dear friends... For those who are in Christ, you have been raised up with him. You have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. You've been granted faith. You've been justified in the sight of God. You've been set apart as holy. You've been given the mind of Christ by the Spirit of God who resides within you now. And so we can know and understand how we ought to be conducting ourselves in this life to be wise and we have to set ourselves those those understandings of things those if there's things in our life that we need to know more of in order to carry these things out then this then this next year we set those goals for ourselves what does the word of god say what is the will of god for my life because he's going to talk about that too to understand what the will of the lord is what is it what is the will of god for your life Well, sometimes we act as if it's some kind of a secret that we have to continually pray on and we have to see how the Lord is moving us to understand what the will of God is for our life. But if you just take time to open up the scripture, then we have an understanding of what God's will is for our life. It's not a secret. It's there within the scripture. Your sanctification. That's summing it up, what the will of God is for your life. To honor and glorify the Lord. To enjoy him forever. We can understand what the will of God is for our life when we open the the scripture and we begin to, to read and to learn. Do you know the promises of God that he has for you in Christ? 
when difficult times in your life come and you're tempted with bitterness or you're tempted with whatever because anger, because of, of whatever's going on in your life, do you, do, you, do you stop yourself and go back and preach back to yourself what you know to be true in Christ to know that these are the promises of God that he has for me and you take comfort in that irrespective of what's going on? Do you know the promises of God in order that you can do that? Then maybe this next year you take the time to read and to understand the wonderful promises that we have in Christ. Because the benefits of being a child of God is not just having eternal life with the Lord in, in the life to come, but there is joy and peace to be had even now in your life. And so we must seek out those things to understand what the will of God is, to understand what the scripture says. And not only that, but this is, this is a big one here. In verse 16, he says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Some of your translations may say redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does it mean? It means, literally, it means to buy back is what the word means. To redeem means to buy back. It's to make the, the best use of your time. To use it to the fullest, not to squander your time. And what's that going to encompass then? That's going to, that's going to have to promote in us a, an understanding that, that I have to make the most of my time. And so the very thing that I need to set as my first priority is Christ himself. Because he has determined my time. I don't know how long I have, how long you have. We don't know. But he says here, make the most of your time. Don't squander your time. And we squander it often. We don't use it to the fullest. And by all means, I am just as guilty of that as well. I was telling my cousin the other day that this next year that I personally want to, want to do differently than what I have found myself doing in the past number of months. I feel like during the days that, I, that I'm at work or whatever that I'm just running on autopilot. That I'm just trying to get through the day with no particular purpose of anything. I just want to get to the time that I get off work to go home. But I'm not making the most of my time. And you can make the most of your time even when you're at work. Jonathan Edwards in his 70 resolutions. He has a lot that deal with time. But he says resolved. This is resolution number five. Resolve never to lose one moment of time, but seize the time to use it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And then resolution six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Now think of that. To live with all my might while I do live. That in every moment of life that you're there to the fullest. You're involved, you're intentional, you're purposeful in everything that you're doing. And being able to, and striving rather, to whatever it is that you're doing to honor Christ in it. To do what you can to honor Christ. So that as he says in resolution number 17, resolved. I will live in such a way as I will wish I had done when I come to die. That in the time that I die, that I won't have a regret because I didn't use my time in the most profitable way for the honor of Christ. That I didn't squander it. That I didn't make Christ secondary to temporary things of the world or from my own amusement of other things that capture my imagination or my time. But that I use it in the most profitable way so that when the time comes that I die, that I have no regret. I used it to the fullest over the time that God had given to me. That should be all of our desire. So that when we stand before the king, that we hear those words that we all desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your father. That I lived with everything that I could for the honor of Christ. That's a worthy goal. 
And how do you do that? You make the most of your time. You don't squander it. You don't waste it away. But in the time that you're given and the opportunities that you're given, that you use it for the glory of God. You have opportunities to speak to those whom you love, to, to share the gospel with them, that you don't keep putting it off and keep putting it off. Well, I'll get to it later. You know, I, I just don't feel right about talking to them right now or whatever the case may be. Again, you're assuming that you have time. And you may not. They may not. They may not have time. And we keep procrastinating and we keep putting it off. But while we have opportunity, we reach out to them. We share God the gospel with them. We live in such a way that Christ is honored, making him the first priority in our life. And on and on we can go. There's so many different things that deal with that. But you know, one of the most um, sobering uh, truths that Jonathan Edwards had brought out specifically in his sermon on redeeming the time that I've shared with you before, but it's worthy to speak of it again, is that at the end of his sermon, when he gets to the application part, because the Puritans had a way of preaching, that you had the exposition of the text, you had the doctrine that was given in the text, and then you had the application at the end. And just as a footnote, it was pretty amazing to think of the preaching of Jonathan Edwards because it was said of him that during his exposition and doctrine he was lining up his cannon. And then when he got to the application, he fired. In the application of his sermon, Redeeming the Time, and as, as, he's, as he's calling upon his congregation to make the most of their time, he says, come with me to the deathbed, and I will show you one that would give anything to have a moment of your time. Then he says, now descend with me to the very bowels of hell and hear, hear the screaming and the screeching of those that are damned who would give anything to have a moment of your time. So make the most of your time. That's the emphasis. Because that is the reality of life. That's the reality of the situation that the damned find themselves in. That under the judgment of God, they would give anything to have a moment of your time. Those that are getting ready to die and to take their last breath would give anything to have a moment of your time. The time that we often squander. That we don't use. That we don't use for the honor of Christ. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. There are many temptations that are in the world, but that may not necessarily be exactly what he is pointing out here. That the emphasis may be, too, to make the most of your time because considering the judgment of God that is upon all the unbelieving as well. Make the most of your time. So thinking of that, thinking of how you use your own time, how well do you live? It's kind of a strange question to ask, isn't it? And how well do you live? Because there's a way to live honorably for Christ and there's a way to live poorly. So in the time that you've been given, as of right now, just thinking of the time that you've been given, whether you're young or whether you're old, how have you used your time? What has been the most uh, the, the greatest emphasis in your life thus far of how you've used your time. And I have to ask, I have to ask, ask that question too. How have I used my time? Because I often take for granted that I wake up the next day and I don't consider well, what if the, what if I lay my head at night and, and that's it. And then I, I come before Christ. What do I have that I can say, oh Lord, I lived in view of what you have done for me. I have to ask myself those questions too. So in the coming year, what then can you do to change 
Maybe how, we hit, how I know that I have failed in using my time and I have to make adjustments and I have to do things to, to take a different measure this coming year. What things in your own life can you do better? And understand this, dear friends. Understand that we set goals, we set our priorities and all of that and, and we're going to fail. It's inevitable, we're going to fail. But just because you fail don't mean that you remain in your failure. You get back up. And by the grace of God, you start again. And you keep striving for it. And you keep reaching for it. Regardless of how well that you do. And thank the Lord that it's, our salvation is not dependent on how well we do. I'm so grateful that it's not dependent on how well we do. Because, man... I couldn't have kept it if it was dependent upon me. So we are going to fail. We're going to have times that we don't do it right or we do waste our time. But then we start again. And we keep moving forward. Why? Because the prize and the treasure is at the end of our life and we run to it. We strive for it. We run our, our race well. And we look unto Christ, and when we, when we fall, it's by His grace that we rise up again anyway. It has to all be in His power, of course. What then can you do to make the most of your time this coming year and not take for granted that you think that you have time? I'll study those things later. I'll get serious about the Christian faith later. You may not have later. We would all like to grow old, to live a long life. We may not. The young man that died here recently, 26 years old, really good possibility he wanted to, or he had planned on living much longer than what he did. My brother died at 43. My dad died at 52. Maybe they had planned in their minds that, that they wanted to live longer and to live a fuller life. In their estimation, what a full life is. But the Lord had other plans. So you don't know. And you can't take it for granted that, that you may have a long life because you may not. That's not to scare anybody. That's just the reality of how life is. You have an appointed time that God has granted for each and every one of us. As the psalmist says, all the days of my life are written in your book before there was yet one of them. He's determined when they begin. He's determined when they end and you cannot go past. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, He's, he's, saying, he's talking about worry, but he says, you know, why do you worry about your life? You cannot add a single hour to it. You cannot prolong your lifespan. It'll occur when God has determined for it to occur. So while we have opportunity, while we have opportunity, let us live in such a way that Christ is honored and to understand that this, there's delight in doing so. This isn't just a, a situation in which we understand from Scripture that you better be doing this. And you better be doing that. You begin tomorrow. Do it. That you understand that when the Scripture is giving us these understandings and, and these commands that are that through the Apostle Paul or through Christ or, or through whoever within the Scripture that we find them from, that it is giving us first an understanding of what God has done for us, that our hearts would be lifted up to praise Him and to honor Him and to understand, Oh Lord, You have done all this for me. How can I live for You? Well, He says, here's my commands. Do this as a demonstration of love. And so we delight in doing these things, not out of our, our, a necessity of doing it, because we think we have to check off a couple of boxes, but our hearts are so captivated with the glory and the honor of Christ and the majesty of Christ and the gospel itself and the grace of God that we, that we want to do it. 
We desire to do it, and so we pray for the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, change my heart, change my mind. Give me the desires that are yours, that I can carry out what you command of me. That's how we need to be praying. It cannot be in our own power. It must be in his power. And so we pray and we ask the Lord, as as Augustine prayed, O Lord, command what thou wouldst and grant what thou dost command. Help me to carry out what you command of me and give me such a delight as I do so. Knowing that as I live in this way, that I'm honoring you who gave your life for me. Make the most of your time. And don't be foolish, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We've talked about that. It's found within the scripture. How then shall we live? We look to the scripture. What is it that Christ has done for me? We look to scripture. What is it that he promises me? We look to scripture. Has God demonstrated his great love for us? Yes, he has. And how do we know that? By going to the scripture. The scripture has to have a priority within the life of the believer. Because it is in the scripture that God speaks to his people. And the Holy Spirit of God applies it to our hearts. Understand this. That you cannot grow in sanctification. You cannot grow in Christ apart from the word of God that the Holy Spirit inspired. If you want to grow in knowledge of God. If you want to be spirit filled is what he's going to command the people there. He says... Don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's debauchery. He's referring to the culture again as they serve the god Bacchus. Don't don't do what they're doing. Don't enter into the debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God. What does it mean? It means the very same thing that he said in Colossians as well. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Be guided by Him. Be directed by Him. Be influenced by Him. How are you influenced by the Spirit of God? How are you guided by the Spirit of God? How are you directed by the Spirit of God? Again, you cannot be directed and guided by the Spirit of God apart from the Word of God that He inspired. Are there times that the Spirit of God prompts us to do something? Yes, He does. But it is in in accordance and in agreement with what the Scripture has revealed of how He works within our life. That whatever experiences that we have must find a reference point within the Scripture. So it goes back to that again. Back to the Scripture we go. That the Word of God would dwell richly within us and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that. That's not meaning that whenever you're converted that he gives you a little bit of the spirit for now and then as you grow in your Christian life that he gives you more of the spirit and more of the spirit. Upon your conversion, you have the fullness of the spirit of God dwelling in you. The fullness of the spirit of God. You're not going to get any more of him as you continue in your, in your life within Christ. He's not going to diminish either. It's the same as you think about the love of God. You have the fullness of the love of God that is given to you the moment that you're converted. He will love you no greater than what he does in the moment that he brings you to faith. And the love of God will never diminish. The same thing when you're talking about the spirit of God who is applying to us the love of God and the grace of God and all the benefits of what Christ has done. And throughout our lives, he grows us. He matures us. So don't misunderstand what he's saying, being filled with the Spirit, as if it's something that we do. We cannot pray and ask for some kind of a second helping of the Spirit of God or a second experience of of the Spirit of God. You have the fullness of him in the moment that you are regenerated by him. But it does speak of this, to be guided by him, to be directed by him, to be influenced by him. What is it then that a spirit-filled person does? He gives us a few things here of an expression of being filled with the Spirit of God and directed by Him, influenced by Him. 
that we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We give thanks to the Lord, and we're subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. That as the Spirit is taking influence and direction in our life, the very things that we are doing for one another is speaking to one another in the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why, why that? It's often within the psalms that are part of the word of God and the hymns and the spiritual songs that the truths of God are being conveyed back to you, being reminded back to you. So we are speaking the truths of God back to each other. And we're giving thanks to the Lord. That's a, that's a characteristic of someone who is spirit-filled. Not about second experiences, not about any of this other stuff that goes on within other churches. It is about giving thanks to the Lord. You want to see a spirit-filled person? It is someone who gives thanks to the Lord, who makes melody in their hearts, not necessarily on an instrument, but in their hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks. And we give thanks to the Lord. And we're subject to one another. What does that mean? It means we're not lording over each other. We're not lording over one another. But we are walking humbly before one another. How can we walk humbly? Because we're remembering what Christ has done for us. That the Lord of glory has given his life. And that in itself humbles us. As we reflect upon that. This coming year is an opportunity for us to, to focus on the things that we need to, perhaps that we have neglected to focus on in the years past. Set goals that are worthy goals. Set resolutions that are worthy, such as this, of what we've been over today. The worthy goals to guard yourself from temptation, recognizing that it is everywhere, just as it was for the first century believers who were first hearing this message. And by the grace of God, they focused themselves upon the majesty and the glory of Christ, trusted in the leading of the Holy Spirit to carry them through. We make the most of our time. For every moment that we live, that we're living to the fullest. We're not running on autopilot, waiting, waiting for this hour to be done or that hour to be done. It's easy to do that. You know, a couple of months back, there were so many things going on within a span of a week. They were just like, get through this one, get through this one, get through this one. And then when you get through it all, you're like, wonderful. And you kind of think to yourself, well, I probably wasn't as involved in that as what I should have been. Because I was just so focused on just getting through the day. So make the most of your time. Make the most of your time for the glory of Christ, dear friends. And when you fail, you don't remain there. You get back on your feet and you start again. It's going to happen. We need to recognize that it's going to happen because we're not, we're not perfect. We're not fully sanctified. We're not going to be in this life, but we strive for it. We strive to do what, we, what we're able to by the Spirit of God. And Think of, think of these other things that we're talking about, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That requires that we're together. In order to encourage each other with the truths of God, that requires that we're together. We're part of the local body that encourages one another with the truths of God. And so we need each other. We need believers around us to encourage our hearts, to comfort us when we need to, to bounce things off of each other. Iron sharpens iron. We hear that a lot. They need you. Often we think, well, maybe they don't need us. Or rather, we think to ourselves, we don't need them. But the fact of the matter is, they may need, they may need us. They may need your gift. They may need your, your wisdom that God has granted to you. And so we... We place ourselves within the assembly of God's people in order that we can exercise our gifts to edify the body because we're all needed. It's not just me. It's not just Jason when he's here or any others that are in leadership. We need each other. We need each other in order to, to get through the things that life throws our way. 
So make the most of your time. Make time for each other and to walk humbly with each other. And we can do these things by the Spirit of God. So in the coming year, set worthy goals. There are certain things in the scripture that you'd like to know more of. Maybe you haven't studied this particular book of the, of the Bible. Make that your goal. If there are certain parts of theology that you want to study, whether it's the attributes of God or the, the various other disciplines that are in theology, then set that goal for this year. Make worthy goals. There are people in your life that you haven't shared the gospel with yet because you're afraid, perhaps. Ask the Lord to give you the courage that you need in order to carry it out and to make that your goal this year. Set worthy goals that Christ would be honored and make the most of your time. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us, for what your word reminds us of concerning Christ, concerning the gospel, the grace that was extended to us in him. Father, let the reality of what Christ has done move our hearts with greater affection for him, that our, that our will would be moved in order to carry out what is pleasing to him. None of us can do these things in our own power. None of us can do these things with delight in our hearts unless, Father, you work within our hearts to bring it about. As we start out this year, Father, do a mighty work within us, for all of us, and to shape us and to mold us to be all that you desire. Change our affections, change our minds and our wills. Make our desires your desires. Father, let us indeed have that delight and joy in the Lord to carry these things out, recognizing what you've done for us. I pray that you would indeed have your way and to remind us that when we do fail, that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And when we fail, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Our Father, may this next coming year, Father, be a year in which you are glorified among your people. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.